Thank you for tuning in to Conroe United Pentecostal Church today. We pray that this podcast is a blessing to you. If there is ever anything we can do for you, please email admin at conroeupc.org. As I, as I look and feel things tonight, I am reminded of those three disciples who climbed that mountain with the Lord that day when they climbed to the top and they dealt with the, the thinning of the oxygen and their bodies wearied the closer they got to the top of that mountain. And then upon arriving at the top of that mountain, those three disciples uh, fell on the ground and just um, catching their breath. And I, I can see them maybe slumping down with a head between the knees and trying to pull in enough oxygen into their lungs to where they don't feel the lightheadedness of oxygen deprivation. And as they tried to acclimate to the top of the mountain, behold, there in front of them, they saw the Lord. And they saw him not just by himself, but they saw him standing there amid a cloud and a bright light. And as they stood there and observed him, they, they, they witnessed what you and I would come to know as what transpired there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And they looked and saw the Lord as he spoke with Moses and with Elijah. And as there was this discussion that went back and forth with them, the disciples' response at that moment were, we should build temples and we should build tabernacles to each of these that we've seen here. And as, as they contemplated it and discussed that, the light became bright and the cloud was brighter and, and they fell on their face. And as they fell on their face, they covered their eyes and covered their face only within seconds to hear the voice of the Lord and feel the touch of the Lord as he began to speak uh, with them. And in verse, no, verse number 7 of, of Matthew chapter number 17... The disciples heard the voice of the Lord and said, as he said, Arise and be not afraid. And when these disciples that had witnessed this incredible, this incredible display of the Spirit, when they lifted their eyes and they saw, they saw the Lord, it says this in verse number 8, they lifted their eyes and they saw no man save Jesus only. All they saw at that moment was Jesus. And what they saw at that moment was Jesus only. I've come tonight to simply talk about the importance of of Jesus only. I've come tonight to talk about the importance uh, of an old-fashioned face-to-face confrontation with the Master, the King of Kings, and with the Lord of Lords. It's drawn to my attention recently an article written by Dr. Michael Brown. It's, it's entitled, Who Changed These Things? Who Changed Things from the Vibrant, Spirit-Empowered by Life or by Death Faith of the New Testament to Today's Spineless Home and Garden Sunday Morning Religion? Who changed those, these things from leave everything and follow me to pray this little prayer and you're set for eternity? 
who change these things from all who live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution to ask Jesus into your heart and then you'll live a comfortable life forever. Who change things from a fearless proclamation of the truth, whatever the cost or whatever the consequence, to a watered down and compromised message that is afraid to offend anyone. By what authority, by whose decree, based on what new revelation have we so blatantly departed from the faith of the apostles? Who changed things? Who changed things from the New Testament faith where even disciples could not minister without the Spirit's endowment to today's version? To today's version where whole ministries are run without hardly any evidence of the Spirit's work. One writer said it this way, If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church, 95% of what we do would go on, and no one would know the difference. But in the New Testament day, if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would have stopped. For everything they did was done with anointing and with endowment from the Holy Ghost. Who changed these things? This remains true in most of the contemporary church in the West. Who changed things from a God-centered faith to a man's centered faith. Take up your cross and deny yourself was what Jesus said. That now it's bypass the cross and empower yourself in the modern church today. Who changed these things? Who changed things from holiness being beautiful to holiness being bondage? From the early church being known for its high standards to the contemporary church being known for its big scandals. Who changed things from the people of God being a threat to the powers of darkness to the people of God now being active and participants in much of that same darkness. In the early church, Paul instructed the Corinthians to separate themselves from people who claimed to be believers but were living in outward or unrepentant sin. But today, some of those same people lead churches and preach in pits. Who changed these things? Who changed things from a faith that was so focused on the life of Jesus and so infused with the reality of his death, his burial, his resurrection, that no sacrifice was considered too great and no act of service was considered too extreme to now the things we see that suffering for him at that point was considered a privilege. But today convenient church. Today's convenient to store uh, Christianity. Today's Walmart mentality of a church uh, where we have self-salvation to the sinner by spicing up the deal with perks uh, and with benefits and privileges to a church membership. I posed the question and the writer posed the question, when did Jesus stop being 
enough. I would suggest that you can do without a lot of what we do in modern church. But if you don't have Jesus in the church, you're just going through the motions. And I suggest before before we become completely dependent upon modern technology and new songs and completely dependent upon modern type style ministry, I suggest that we don't try to reach back to the past and try to resurrect the old ministry, but instead we just bring Jesus to church when we come to church. It's not the old song. It's not the new song. It's the fact that we brought him into the presence of the people of God when we arrived. I suggest to you, Jesus is enough. We don't have to have fancy preaching. We don't have to have fancy technology. We don't have to have fancy singing. We don't have to have the songs of old. But what we must have is the presence of the Almighty God. And what we must have is the anointing of Jesus Christ. And what we must have is a witness of the Holy Ghost in our life. The road to Jericho was a narrow passage. You often see it referenced. People didn't go that way often. This was the same road that the Good Samaritan happened on that time and found the man who fell among thieves and robbers. This narrow passage on one side had mountaintop, on the other side had cliffs. It was dangerous when you traveled the road to Jericho. You didn't travel side by side. You didn't travel in a three or four wide lane freeway. But no, when you traveled the Jericho road, you traveled single file. And when, and when, and when, you, when you made that pathway, it was a dangerous and it was a treacherous journey. It is no wonder the old timers, uh, they begin to liken their walk with God to the Jericho road. And they begin to sing songs like, uh, on the Jericho road, uh, there's room for just two. Uh, no more and no less. Uh, just Jesus uh, and you. Each burden he'll bear. Each sorrow he will share. There is never a care for Jesus is there. On this journey of life, uh, we don't have to have a lot of friends to make it with us. Uh, but one thing that we must have is we must have the power and the presence uh, and the anointing of the Almighty God as we make this journey. Take this whole world and get rid of it. But let me have some Jesus tonight. Amen. This walk with God, this walk with Jesus, thank you, is exclusive. It's not Jesus and something else. It's not Jesus with a codified process of rules and structure. It's just Jesus. If I can have just some Jesus in my life, everything will work out all right. If we can just have some Jesus in our sanctuary, everything will work out all right. If we can just have some Jesus in a Sunday school class uh, upstairs or out on this campus or in a bus uh, or in a song that's sung. Uh, the harmony will not matter. The number of voices will not matter. But oh, what will matter is when the touch of Jesus is felt in the heart uh, of someone. You'll realize uh, it might not be fancy, but it's God-powered and it's God-centered. And Jesus is in that. 
This walk with God is so exclusive. It's quite simply this. I can't have Jesus and embrace the rest of the world. I can't try to walk with the Lord on one part of the week and walk with the world the rest of the week. But Jesus was very intentional. He says, if you're going to walk with me, what you've got to do, he says, uh, he says, if you're going to walk with me, you must realize that I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. Uh, John 14 and 6. Uh, he answers Thomas's question that day. And Thomas is filled with questions. He's filled with doubt. He's asking questions. Lord, how do we know? And, and can you show us the Father? And please explain these things to me. And Jesus looked at Thomas and said, have I not so long been with you that you don't know who I am and what I am? He begins to explain to him the singularness uh, of his nature and of his, and of his bearing. And then he shares those words. Thomas, uh, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Uh, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you want to get to the Father or you want to get to the great almighty God, there's one way to get there. And you got to get there through Jesus. You got to get there through Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And you don't get to heaven if you don't go through Jesus. I mean, Jesus, Jesus con- continued such teaching all through those gospels. He teaching one day to the disciples. And as he spoke to them, he started talking about sheep and how sheep followed the master and how sheep were loyal to their master. He started talking, saying things like, my sheep know my voice and another they will not follow. And he began to expound in this, in this, in this discussion of sheep. And then in John chapter six, verse number seven, Jesus began to talk to the disciples and said, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door to the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Let me tell you something. If you want to be in the sheepfold, you only get there by coming through Jesus Christ. If you want to be a part of the bride of Christ, you only get there by walking through the door. And he is the door. And he is that way. I am the door if any man enter in. And so I, I look at this, this concept uh, of the exclusive singularity of this God. This God of ours is jealous. Uh, this God of ours wants you to sell out. Uh, this God of ours wants, to, wants there to be this pneuma that comes out of him and into you and through you. He wants, the, he wants out of your belly to flow the living waters of the Holy Ghost. Uh, he, he, wants, he wants his power and his presence to, to flow from him and he wants it to flow through you and it's an exclusive thing he doesn't want you to embrace the world and then try to have the spirit of God in you because light and darkness cannot live in the same place but rather this God of ours he wants to be Christ in you the hope of glory he wants to emanate from your life and he wants people to see him through your life it is this it is this idea that if we can just have Jesus, if we can just have this God of ours in our lives, it is, it is, it is this, this whole concept that, that he tried to show us with a graphic illustration that day when Martha and Mary came to him. Mary wanted to sit at his feet. Martha was, was encumbered about by much things that she was doing there as the hostess of the house. And you know this story. Martha came to the Lord and says, Lord, my 
sister. Would you send her to help? Would you make her help me? Would you send her in there? She just wants to sit at your feet. She's slacking, Lord, and I'm doing all the work. But in Luke chapter 10, verse 41, the Lord replied with this, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about by many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Martha, he said it this way, and from the Moffat's translation, he says, Martha, you are encumbered about by making many dishes or many things that you're serving up, but Mary has chosen the best dish, and that best dish is me, and that will never be taken away from her. He said this in another place, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I've come tonight with a determination in my spirit for somebody to realize the most important thing you have in your life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The followers of John the Baptist, uh, they saw this in a different way because when John had died and John's head had been cut off and, and they, they, his, his, had been decapitated and he lay there, he lay there in his own pool of blood there. The, the followers of John the Baptist, uh, they came, they came and the Bible says in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 12 that John's disciples came, they took up the body, they buried the body and then they went and told Jesus. Uh, it was important to them to go and recover the body and as soon as they took care of that little bit of business the first thing they did they went and told Jesus I suggest tonight that one of the most important things that you begin to do in your life is whatever happens you go and you tell Jesus you go and you tell him what's going on and you explain to him the circumstances that you face in your life that old song comes alive I must tell Jesus all of my trials I cannot bear these burdens alone in my distress he kindly will help me he ever loves me and he cares for his own I must tell Jesus I must tell Jesus I cannot bear my burdens alone I must tell Jesus I must tell Jesus for Jesus can help me and Jesus alone this is a God problem this is a God circumstance and God can fix these things for me You see, I just want you to hear me. I know this voice of mine has decided to leave. And when that happens, I just kind of get mad at the devil. And I just, I just wish I could wheel it back tonight. Uh, But after feeding the 5,000, the Lord begins to talk to his people and his disciples. They stood there after that incredible, miraculous thing that had taken place. Uh, Five loaves and some bread and some fishes had been multiplied into where they were all fed and there were leftovers. At that moment in their life, their bellies were full with the miraculous and oh I love the times when we can celebrate the times that our bellies are full with the blessings of God but may I suggest to you tonight that this walk with God is not a full belly walk this walk with God is not something where you're going to always be filled and you're always going to be satisfied and you're never going to be in need and you're never going to be in want but sometimes this walk with God is going to require you to do some sacrifice 
sacrifice and to require you to push your plate back and require you to follow after God and the things of the Spirit. You see, it's not about loaves and it's not about fishes, but rather it's about well, the words that came out of the Lord's mouth in Luke chapter 9 when he says, some of you just follow me for loaves. Some of you follow me for fishes. But he says these words, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. If any man will follow me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and let him follow me. This God-centered walk, this exclusive walk with him, it's not about having a full belly all the time. It's not about having a full bank account all the time. It's not about prosperity and all of those things, but rather it's about crosses. It's about self-denial. It's it's about taking up the yoke and, and carrying the burden and being faithful when it's hard to be faithful. Jesus, when he he shared these type of subjects one day, he made a hard talk and a hard decision. And as he closed that lesson that day in John chapter 6, Jesus saw that many of his disciples no longer followed him. And they began to drift off. And they they began to to leave him. And he looked at them in chapter 6, verse 67. Jesus said unto the 12 that were left, he said, will you also go away? And then Simon Peter and that boisterous spirit of his rose up at that moment and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For thou hast the words of life. May I simply suggest there is one alternative to life, and that's Jesus. There's one alternative to life, and that's Jesus. There is no plan B. There is no option C. There is no other way. He is the answer, and he is the way. Sir, sir, the Greek man said to the man Philip, we would see Jesus. You see, Jesus was in great discussion this particular day with the Pharisees. And there was quite a stir. And the Pharisees had brought accusation to the Lord. And there was quite a gathering there in the house of the Lord that day. And there were... There were a couple of men from Greece who decided that they would go and they would experience this God experience there with the Lord that day. So they, they made it there to where all that was going on. And when they got there in the house of the Lord, there was a big squabble going on. The Pharisees were accusing Jesus of stuff. And there was this, he was back in their face, and it wasn't, it wasn't a pretty sight that was happening. And so they kind of hung around on the fringes, being, being the fact that they were, they were not Jewish folk, and they, they hung around on the edges. And so as, as they hung around on the edges, they, they, they just kind of looked around and probably trying to find out whom, whom might, they could ask these questions of. And as, as they did so, as they did so, they, they happened upon a guy named Philip who always was, was, was the periphery of the disciples. He wasn't Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. He wasn't the big time guys. And they found him on the edge and they said, sir, would you show us Jesus? Sir, we would see Jesus. Point him out to us. Who is Jesus? We would see Jesus. 
And so here's Philip in the back of the church. Philip is, is, is not up front. You really, you really can't see him. But, but, but I, he, he, begins to, he begins to try to get the attention of the folks that's up front so he could point out Jesus to them. I can see these Greek guys. <clears throat> oh, I wish my voice wasn't giving out on me. But I can see them come through the front door of the church. They shake the hand of the usher. The usher tries to talk. And I can see those Greek guys saying, hey, Mr. Usher, you're doing a nice job. You welcome me very nice. I appreciate that. But I didn't come to see you. Stop by the hostess desk over here. And the hostess this, try to get them to sign up, try to get their name. And so, oh, I don't have time for that. I came for something else. Clear into the sanctuary and somebody tries to find them a nice seat and get them set there. And then the, and then the praise team start to sing. And I can just hear those Greek guys saying, oh, I don't care nothing about seeing, or seeing you people sing. And I don't care nothing about hearing your new songs. And I don't care nothing about your fancy technology. I don't care nothing about that. And then when the preacher gets up to preach and then said, oh, I don't care nothing about your, your preacher's fancy ability to use gimmicks and gadgets. I don't care nothing about his fancy words and his organized sermon. Philip, I want you to help me. I want a glimpse of Jesus. I want a glimpse of Jesus. And we're back here in the back of the church. Visitors. And he's got his disciple, Philip. And he said, Philip, show me Jesus. And show me Jesus. And all around, church is going on. But they didn't come. A visitor don't walk in here to see what we can do. They don't walk in here to see our bus. They don't walk in here to see our nursery. They don't walk in here to see our song. All of that's good. But they come to see Jesus. (laughs) Philip. Sir, would you show us Jesus? And there's Philip back there in the back of the crowd. Peter, John, Peter, Philip. This is Philip, Peter, John. We got somebody back here who don't care about all that religious stuff. We got somebody back here that just wants to see Jesus. And sometimes... We forget that this walk with God and this service of God is not about our song. And it's not about our pew. And it's not about us showing off our kids when they come to visit. And it's not about ministries that we offer. And it's not about fancy gadgets and gizmos that we can add to make the worship experience better. But this is really about Jesus. And when we show up, there's going to be somebody that's sitting in the back saying, oh, that's neat. But show me some Jesus. Show me some Jesus. Is it any wonder that those disciples on that mountain that day They looked up and there was a big miracle that happened in front of them. The Lord stood there and there was Moses and Elias. From some 2,000 years before those men lived, the Lord brought them into their day and conferred with them right in front of the disciples. And it was a big miracle Oh, it was an incredible moment. You can't, it was just, it's got its own set of theology. It's it's a wonderful thing that happened. But when the Lord began to speak to the men that were there, 
They didn't see the big miracle anymore. And when they looked up, they didn't see those from the past. It didn't matter what had gone from the past because God's got the ability to make the past be repeated right in front of us. But God was sending a message. You saw me bring the glory of the past here and talk. But oh, in all reality, what's more important is that in your day and in your time, you see me. And when they opened their eyes, they saw just Jesus. What does your family see in your life? What do your coworkers see in your life? What does a visitor that sits on the other end of the pew from you see in your life? I pray. I pray that all they see is Jesus. Jesus.